have your Bibles tonight, and you would if you'd find Matthew, the 20th chapter, as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. Matthew, the 20th chapter, and while you're finding that, I have a card to read. Ten Mile Church, thank you for letting me borrow the lift chair after my recent surgery. This made my recovery much easier. Thank you again for your kindness. And that is from Rick Kunico. If you don't know who that is, that is Mike's dad. And so we were able to bless him with a lift chair after his recent knee surgery. Uh, Tonight I want to talk to you about the perfect example. And even though you might have thought it was you, that is not who I'm referring to. Uh, I have met people who thought that they were the perfect example, whether it is an, as an employee at work, uh, whether it is a parent, uh, whether it is a husband or a wife. Uh, but really the Bible tells us that there's only one perfect example. His name is Jesus. As we come to chapter 20, we looked last time together about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and we looked at how straightforward and, and straight uh, uh, and simple it is to interpret, and, and we continue very much on the same theme uh, of that this week, but Jesus as our example, and you say, well, Jake, there are, are many things that Jesus did that I hope that I don't have to follow his example, and I think most of us would probably say, I hope that I do not have to follow his example of being crucified. I hope I don't have to follow the example of giving my life for my faith. That day might come, uh, and if it does, I pray that I am found faithful, but I don't think any of us can say, well, I guarantee that's how I would respond if it came to it. Many in the early church thought that very same thing and, and recanted when they were facing torture, and many of them, after they had recanted and denied the Lord, would come back afterwards and say, I should not have done that, I, I should have stood up for my faith, and sometimes people were then crucified or killed later on. I hope that I don't have to um, travel around on foot everywhere I go as the Lord, but if gas prices continue to go up, we might all be walking where we are going. But the perfect example of who Jesus is models who we should be. Even though it is not possible for us to follow his perfect example, As believers, the Spirit of God lives within us. There should be a desire to follow Him and to live for Him. But really, I think the number one thing that we need to do when we think about who Jesus was is to understand it so that He is more special to us. You think I think most of our spiritual problems could be solved if God's people would just fall in love with Jesus would love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Tonight, I would say that most people you meet that talk about a love for God, it's very superficial. It's very surface deep. Many people will say, well, I go to church, and I always ask people, that's great, but there are lost people in church every Sunday. There are people who teach Sunday school that are lost. There are people who pastor that are lost. And so I didn't ask you of, do you go to church? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I think after you and I are saved, the more we learn about Him and the more that we learn who He is and His characteristics, it causes us to love Him more. And so tonight I want to show you three things about Jesus and who He is and how I believe it can help you and I 
to love Him more. And so if you would pray with me, and we'll just begin going verse by verse. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Tonight, Lord, I pray that You would forgive me, uh, Lord, for any sin, doubt, uh, Lord, anything in my heart tonight that would hinder and grieve the Spirit of God as He is working in this place. Father, I pray tonight that You would work mightily in this building and the other buildings tonight with the youth and the children. God, that you would just make us to see who you are and understand you and love you more. And so, Father, tonight I thank you again for the privilege of being in this place with your people and your word. And God, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to show you tonight about Jesus is that he is our Savior who suffered. Jesus is our Savior who suffered. If you look there in verse 17 as we're going verse by verse... Jesus explains to the disciples about what's going to happen. And he says these words. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify And the third day he will rise again. You say, Jake, we've heard this before. This is the fifth time that Jesus tells the disciples that he is going to be crucified. And these verses are not on the screen behind me, but I want to just read to you how he reveals a little more each time. Starting in Matthew chapter 12, in verse um, 40, it says... No, that's not correct. I missed that. My eyes are not working. Yeah, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40... Jesus says, all he says is, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's how he starts telling them, I'm going to be gone for three days, and I'll be back three days later. Well, if you're the disciples and you're listening for a sign, you're probably thinking, what does that mean? He's giving them just a small taste of what is to come. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, he explains a little bit more about what is going to happen. In 16, verse 21, he says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he might must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and to be raised the third day. So now he tells them he's going to die and who he is going to be killed by. If you go over to chapter 17, verse 12, it says, But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. So he begins to say, I'm going away for three days and I'm coming back. I'm going to be turned over and uh, killed. Now he is saying, well, it's already happened that the Elijah has come or the forerunner has come. So he tells them something. He gives them more information. Now he gives them a time frame. And in 17 verses 22 and 23, he reveals more to them. Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and... The third day he will be raised up. So he is just telling them more and more. But here in chapter 20, he gives them the whole picture. Everything that is going to happen. And it says there in verse 18, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed 
to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will contemn him to death. And this is what he adds. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Now you would think, why does he have to continue to add information as he goes? How many of us like to be blindsided with bad news? Well, none of us do. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is trying to reveal this idea to them that they can handle it in stages. Hey, I've got to go away, but I'm coming back again. Hey, I'm going away, but it's not like you think it is. It's to be killed. Hey, I'm not only going to be killed, but I'm going to be killed by these people. Not only am I going to be killed, but I'm going to be given over to them, and they're going to mock me and make fun of me and parade me around. And you say, well, why would he say this? Because Jesus wanted them to understand something, that when he was crucified, it was not an accident. It was not something that God took a day off and allowed to happen. Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most famous chapters in the Old Testament, talks about the suffering Savior that was to come. And I want to read quite a few of these verses to you because I want you to see the Old Testament talking about exactly how Jesus would suffer. You say, Jake, what does it matter to me that he suffered? Because who did he suffer for? For us. He suffered for my sin and for yours. And so in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, the Bible says... He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace (coughs) was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened, not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he has done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's one of the most profound statements in all of the Word of God. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, when you think about the crucifixion and what Jesus went through, Isaiah 53 describes it down to the detail. But the most amazing thing about Isaiah chapter 53 is not what Jesus went through, but the heart of God behind it. Please don't miss that there in verse verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
Now, I heard some half-infidel liberal preacher preach one time about the cruelty of God and how God was cruel and wicked, and that's why he allowed this to happen. But friends, that's not right. It has nothing to do with the fact that God wanted to punish Jesus just to punish him. But it is because it was the only way to save you and I from our sins. But yet God loved you and I so much and wanted a relationship with you and wanted you to be able to experience heaven and wanted you to be able to be forgiven and wanted you to have a brand new life, to be born again, that it pleased the Father to allow that to the Son. And God's people should say, that's the love that He has for us. He didn't just let Jesus be born of a virgin. He didn't just let Jesus walk among men. He didn't just let, allow Jesus just to go through difficulty. He allowed Him to be beaten and tortured and whipped and crucified and mocked and humiliated. All because of a group of people and myself who are pretty hard to love, who are pretty difficult to like, but yet that is who God is and the love He has for us. And so when we think about the suffering that Jesus went through, it should cause us, one, to mourn our sin. That's why I tell you I don't do well with my mouth. I'm telling you, I say things and I shouldn't and I have to ask for forgiveness, but when someone says, you know, I know it's sin, but God understands. Look up here. God is merciful, but God understands sin so much that Jesus went through this. And so when you hear someone says, God is okay with my sin, it's not. And he's not. He was so not okay with your sin and with my sin that it pleased him to bruise him, to crucify him, so that I could be forgiven. So that I could be covered by the blood of Jesus. And so tonight I hope that you know what it cost for you to be forgiven. The second thing I want to show you is not only is Jesus is our Savior who suffered, but Jesus is our Savior who served. Jesus is our Savior who served. Look what it says there in verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from here. This is the first time a mom wanted her kid to get to play on a team, right? Wanted her kid to be the star of the show. Not really, Solomon's mom wanted that too. But anyway, and he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in the kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am about to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared by my Father. Now, you would say, well, baptism, that's a wonderful thing. Is John going to baptize them like he baptized Jesus? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the crucifixion the death 
the suffering, the pain that he is going to go through. And Jesus gives them just a little bit of foretaste, a little uh, a, a pre-movie pre, uh, uh, reel of what's going to happen to them. Because if you've ever read the book of Acts chapter 12, it talks about the fact that James was murdered for his faith. Jesus says, you will indeed go through what I'm going to go through. You will die for your faith. But he says, it's not mine to give. But I don't want you to miss this here in verse 24 because we see a a typical Baptist meeting here. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. They weren't mad at the mom, right? Mom gets away with everything. They were mad at the brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, and I want to stop right there because what happens is pride has set in. It's not just the fact that they asked the question. Now everybody's thinking, well, if those two aren't going to be there, there's only ten more of us, my odds just got better. Right? Now I'm just, there's two out of ten seats that could be mine. And so pride and division begins to set in. Well, why did they ask? You know it's going to be Peter. Or, or, or why would they ask? You know it's going to be John. Or, but I was the first one called, or I was this. And so division begins to set in. And they've missed what God is trying to teach them. And he goes on and says in verse 25, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lowered it over them, and those who are great exercise over authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Don't miss that. God has no business for people running around being bossy Berthas. No business. God has no desire for you to walk into church and say, I'm the large and I am in charge. It's not God's will. It's not God's plan. It's not what models the Christian faith. No matter what your title, no matter what your standing, no matter what your significance, it is not your church and it's not mine. And I want to not miss that point tonight because he says literally, it shall not be so among you. And so if he says that it should not be among you, guess what that means? Somewhere it's among them. At some point it's been going on. At some point it's an issue. And he goes on and says, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Now, I don't think I can miss the significance of that statement. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus literally says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to say, it is not about me what I want. It's not about me. It's not about you. I'm willing to give up my rights and my privilege and my way of doing things and my way of thinking if it means the advancement of the kingdom of God. And all of God's people got extremely excited about that. Because that's not just at church. You try that at home for a week. You know what, this week, I'm not going to worry about getting my way one time at home. I'm not going to worry about it one time. Not going to worry about where we eat out after church tonight. Not going to worry about... Where we spend our time, I'm, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fight. It's whatever someone else wants. I mean, I feel that way most of the time with seven women in my house, but, and it's not willingly, okay? But just try that for a few days and see how difficult it becomes. But yet Jesus says, if you want to be great, 
If you want to be someone that God can use, it's not about being served. It's about serving. This is one of the ways I think that the New Testament church differs from the church of America the most. Because the church in America says, what can I get from church? Jesus says you ought to come to church saying, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice what God has given me for the good of the gospel and the good of the church? You say, oh, Jake, can you imagine what the church would be like if that was the case? I sit up at night and dream about it. I do. Because can you imagine if the over 700 people who call 10 Mile Home were one here on a regular basis, but two were here not just because what they could get, but what they could do. How, how can I use my gifts to serve God? Now, I'm going to say this because I've been getting teased here a lot lately. I went to Ridden Lake for one year on a band scholarship. It is not because I was good as a trumpet player. It's because I had a family member that was connected in the music department at Ren Lake, okay? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so I've been getting all kinds of grief here about it. Jake, if you'll play your trumpet at church, if you'll just play, I'm telling you, there is no playing of the trumpet. It was a year of free college, all right? But I'd be getting all kinds of grief, all right? Someone even said their day they'd play, the, ooh, someone said they'd play their fiddle if I played the trumpet. So if I come in one day and blow one note, it's to get a fiddle player up here on the stage, all right? Just want you to know that. But friends, there are people that have great gifts that God has given you, and you will not use them for whatever reason. I don't know what it is or why it is, whether it's self-confidence, or, but God has blessed you, and he says, if you want to be great, use the gift that God has given you to serve. Mark, the ninth chapter, describes it like this in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Jesus hears them whispering and, and murmuring back in the back, and we know that Jesus knows the heart, right? So he just asked him, he's like, hey, hey, what were you guys, uh, what were you guys discussing back there in the back of the bus, right? And it was about who was the greatest. Can you imagine? Well, I was the first disciple called. Well, well, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves the most. Well, I, I'm the spokesman of the disciples. I hold the, church, I hold the disciples' money bag. Just imagine what that was like. And he sat down and he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You see, I want you to know this. Some people are easy to serve. Other people are not. As a pastor, I know that because some people only call in the most dire of circumstances. I know if my phone is ringing and it's them, something is on fire or someone has died. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to get me in trouble, but that's okay. And sometimes I get a call because someone has a hangnail three times in one week. It's not so easy to serve that. But yet Jesus says that you must become a servant of who? 
awe. I like when awe is about salvation or the goodness of God or the blessings of God, but I didn't care so much for it when I studied it here. I said, Lord, you mean I got to be a servant of all? As a believer, we have to be servants of all? Do you know some of these people, Lord? And the Lord has to say, no, but I know you. And that's enough. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You say, Jake, I don't like this part about serving. Well, you will hear. If he was our suffering Savior, he was also our serving Savior. And it's not blasphemous or it's not anything bold that we're trying to claim that Jesus serves at our ever beckon and our every need. But yet he come to serve. He come to serve and meet the needs of people. And friends, that has not changed. Jesus still intends to meet the needs of his people. Jesus still intends through the work of the Holy Spirit to give you what you need. That's why he's called the great comforter in times of trouble. That's why the Bible says that he convicts in time of rebellion. The Bible says that he secures in times of our salvation. And so we have a God who not only suffered for us, but he serves. And third and finally, Jesus is our Savior who gives sight to the blind. Verse 29 through chapter, verse 33, it says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. (coughs) When they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they carried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. You see, these two men had no hope. They were blind. They were blind in a time that the disabled were not cared for. There were time that they were blind in a time that the Department of of Disability didn't intervene on half of people. They were at the mercy of others. And when they began to cry for the Lord's attention, what did people tell them? Sit down and shut up. Literally, be quiet. Friends, I want you to know something. In your walk with God, there will be times that if others don't tell you to stop calling on God, your own doubt will. You'll say things like this in your prayer time. God, I know I've asked for this so many times, and so I won't ask again. I want to encourage you to ask again. You come to prayer meeting and say, you know what, I've prayed for my prodigal child for so many months in a row now, I hate to even mention their name. Mention their name. You say, well, Jake, I've been struggling with this problem and difficulty for so long. I, I just, I hate even to ask for God's attention or God's intervention. Ask away. Why? Because in our life, most of the time, it's not others who try to keep us from Jesus. 
It's our own flesh. It's the struggles that we have. You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. That's okay. I didn't see anybody out at the highway today telling people they couldn't come to church. I didn't see anybody today on the news telling you not to come to church today. But what I can tell you is the desires of ourselves kept many from church today. The television doesn't tell you don't read your Bible in the morning. But your flesh will definitely tell you just 15 more minutes of sleep. I can read my Bible later. Your flesh will tell you, you know what, I know prayer is important, but God already knows my every need anyway. And so tonight, while we see here that they are being told to be quiet from an exterior influence, tonight I want to challenge you to let God deal with your internal influence. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's pride that says, well, you know, I know I've got a need, I know I've got a struggle, but I really can't handle it on my own. I, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't tell this, but that's okay. I'm going to anyway. You can do what you want with it, and you're probably going to think I'm awful, but that's okay. Uh, I don't know if you knew how nervous I was this morning, but it was extremely, extremely nervous. And tonight, even though I have my notes in front of me, I am still extremely, extremely nervous. It's one of those things that when I get nervous, it's like a week-long event, okay? It's literally like, be anxious for nothing. I'm like, okay, that was Monday, so next Tuesday, we can apply that to our lives. I was so nervous earlier that when I got choked up earlier, I thought I was going to get sick. It wasn't a getting choked up because I was emotional. It was I was so nervous up here, and the way you're looking at me tonight, I was like... <laughs> Literally, you all thought I was real spiritual reading about the suffering servant. No, it just almost got ugly up here, all right? You say, Jake, I can't believe you told us. That's the truth. And you're going to go back and watch the video and be like, that's the time Jake almost puked right there on stage. But why? We tell ourselves we don't need it. And I'm telling you, I pray every Sunday when I get up here, Lord, if I get up here and you don't show up, it's going to be awful. God, I cannot stand before these people and preach. God, I cannot stand up here and tell them things that I know they don't want to hear. I cannot stand up here and tell them these truths from your, your word that make them look at me like, like they want to slap me, all right? I mean, literally. But yet I have to trust God. I know that you can. And I believe that you will. Jesus described it like this about giving sight to the blind, but not just the physical blind, but the spiritual blind in John chapter 3. A man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus. And in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it said, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. You see, a great miracle that Jesus gives us is giving sight to the blind in this passage of Scripture. But the greatest gift that God can give us is to be the truth and light of the world. It allows us to be born again and to see and to be a part of the kingdom of God. Tonight, I want you to know that, that if you are lost, you are spiritually blind. And you are spiritually unable to give yourself sight.
but Jesus made a way. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus made it possible for you to be born again. For you to be a part of the family of God, to see the things of God, to experience the things of God, and to understand what it's like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And so tonight I pray that you understand the suffering that He went through for us. I pray that you see the heart behind Him being a servant, Savior. Third and finally, I hope that you know that He can give sight no matter how blind you think someone is. If you ever met someone and said, oh man, they're, they're way far from God. Man, they are vile and wicked and hard-hearted and man, I, I, I just, I, they'll, never, they'll never get right with God. I've said that about some people. Not, not proud of it. But you know what the Lord seems to do on the people that I give the little bittest amount of hope to? Them seems to be the knuckleheads that he saves. Some of you are going, did he just call all of us knuckleheads? Maybe, I don't know. I didn't know all of you before you got saved. But that's how God was to me. I can remember mocking God. I can remember, I can remember sitting in the spot tavern saying, well, there's no way God can deal with me. Friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, that was a terrible statement to say that God could not. Because God can give spiritual sight to the most blind of people. And tonight, that's my prayer for those that you love that don't know Jesus. That's my prayer for those in this place tonight that know Jesus but yet refuse to follow Him, that God would reveal and work and move in your life in a way that is unbelievable. And that all you can do when it's over is say, God, thank you for showing me. God, thank you for suffering for me. God, thank you for serving and being the example who you want us to be. And that's the God that we have the privilege to love. That's the God that we have the privilege to worship. And so tonight I hope that you know him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you would pray with me. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you just verse by verse, word by word. God, I just explain what your word says. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to love you. God, I pray tonight that if those of us in this place that have, take you, have taken you for granted, or Lord, those of us who have just kind of been complacent in our walk with you, that tonight, Lord, we would fall under conviction and return to you as our first love. Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak to the hearts and lives of people in this place that don't know you. God, that your spirit would convict them of their need for Jesus. God, tonight I thank you for the ways you've been working in this church, the ways you've been healing and drawing and convicting. and God, I just thank you for the blessings you've given us. God, it is above and beyond what I can even imagine. But God, tonight I pray that the one thing we would be known for, God, is for loving you with all that we have. God, I pray that you'd help us to love each other in spite of our faults, in spite of our failures, in spite of our sin, God, that you would help us to draw close to each other and love each other. And so tonight, Lord, as we begin this time of invitation, God, whether it's a time of celebration, God, a time of just desperation, God, whatever each individual needs, that you would meet that need tonight. God, I just thank you for it. And God, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.